for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. All right, last week... We started a two-part series. It's not really a series so much as it's just two teachings uh, that I've titled Generation to Generation, A Living a Legacy of Faith, and how if we're going to leave a legacy of faith, we have to be one of two kinds of people. Uh, We have to live our lives according to the word as younger people and older people. the younger receive revelation from the older, and the older are submissive to the Spirit of God that they may be able to give to the younger. Amen. I taught last week about the younger's responsibility. And when I say younger, according to Scripture, according to the Greek ears, they would have understood it. I'm talking anybody 35 and under would be considered younger. And this is, this is the text that I used to teach out of last week. It says, let no one look down on you because of your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So he's saying, listen, if you're younger, you have a responsibility. First off, don't let your, your youth be a detriment to you. Your youth is a blessing to the older amongst us. I've said it before, uh, both in the last week and a couple of weeks prior to that, that old men, old women, older people get their purpose from the younger. But the younger get their direction from the older. And that's what God has called us to be to be people who receive information when we're young, the wisdom of those who have lived a godly life, so that as we grow older, we may transfer that information, that that knowledge to someone else. Amen? And so I drew from an illustration last week to kind of explain what I was talking about, and I'm going to repeat that illustration today. There was a time in Indian culture where there were two types of people. There were hunters and warriors. I'm going to call them saddle sitters for a minute. They sat on the saddle and they would go do what saddle sitters did. They would go hunt and then they would go to war. They would do the physical labor necessary to ensure the safety and the well-being of the tribe. After they were gone, sometimes weeks at a time, they would come back And they would go into a tent where there was the second kind of people, which are called campfire sitters, the older generation. And that older generation would have set up a campfire, and they would have waited for the younger to come back so that in their coming back, they might be able to debrief the younger about what they did right and what they did wrong. Because first time I went hunting, I didn't get it all right. First time I went to war, I didn't get it all right. First time I did anything, I didn't get it all right. And usually it was the older amongst or around me that helped me get it right. And so God has called some of us to saddle sitting 
but God has called others of us to be campfire sitters. And so today I want to talk to the campfire sitter. What is your responsibility as that over 35 crowd to the younger generation? Titus lays it out pretty pretty plainly. Let me read this to you. Titus 2, 2 through 8, reads like this. Older men, campfire sitters, are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in temperance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Let me tell you, that's not in vogue these days, but the scripture very, very rarely considers what is in vogue. There is such thing as godly submission. Verse 5, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, being kind, being subject to their husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent, that is the enemy, will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Look, there's a lot of instruction in that. Essentially, this is what it says, though. It says, younger, older men, teach, live a life you're supposed to live so that you might teach younger men what that life should look like. Older women... Live the life you should live so that you could teach younger women what that life should look like. I could take the time to break down everything he tells him, although I'm not going to. That's not the point I'm wanting to make here today. The point I'm wanting to make specifically is that the young, the older have a responsibility to the younger to teach them, which means that the younger have a responsibility to the older, which is to listen to them. And let me tell you, if you get that out of sync, if you refuse to listen to the older, or the older refuse to pour into the younger, what you do is you get an environment, a society like we have right now. Because what's happened is old people, men and women, have forgotten what it means to be campfire sitters. We've determined no longer to transfer off the saddle and into the, into the tent where the campfire is. We decided as men that we're no longer going to call our young men to manhood. We're not going to teach them to work. We're not going to show them the importance of godliness. Because we're not willing to live godliness. We still chase our own youthful passions. We, and when I say we, I mean society, chases women, uses them, and then abandons them. A lot of time, having sired our own children, we have nothing to teach because we have no life to teach from. Amen? Amen. 
But women are just as bad. Older women can't teach younger women because you refuse to admit that you're older women. Did you know I can't teach somebody how to be something if I'm not willing to admit that I'm that thing? If you're 40 years old and still walking around dressing immodestly, going to clubs, picking up guys, hooking up, doing all the stuff that hookup culture tells you is okay, you have no authority or right to teach anyone anything because you're not going to teach them anything godly. The Bible says that a woman should be modest, that she shouldn't adorn herself, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't mean necessarily that you can't put braids in your hair, that you can't put makeup on. I'm not that kind of Pentecostal. What it does mean is that there's something more important than the braids in your hair. There's something more important than the way you've adorned yourself. And that is who God has created you to be. And you can't be who God created you to be unless you know your word and live that lifestyle. And you certainly can't teach anybody else how to do it if you don't. And I know, man, I'm going to get some hate for this when people watch it online because they're all, you don't have, you're, you've never been a woman, you don't have a right to speak into women issues. I'm not speaking into women issues. This word of God speaks into women issues. And I'm regurgitating the information it's given me. But I'm not just harping on the older women. Guys, we're the worst. We can do better. A lot of times the women that we associate with, that's behave the way they do because that's learned behavior. We taught them what they're useful for because we're so willing to hook up and throw them away instead of love them and honor them and protect them and lead them the way the Word of God tells us that we should. Amen? So if you're going to be an older man teaching a younger man, a young, an older woman teaching a younger woman, make sure that you know what an older man, according to Scripture, should look like and what an older woman woman according to Scripture, should look like so that you don't disqualify all the words that come out of your mouth. Everybody okay? All right, I'm not changing any of it. I was just wondering if you're okay. <laughs> we have literally forgotten what it means to walk in our speech, to be an example in our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith, and purity. And because of that, we have to a large degree, even inside the church, stopped being godly representatives and started being better worldly representatives. Because it's cool. Or it makes us feel macho. Or it makes us feel however. But let me tell you, if it doesn't come from this word, and you can't find it in here, and it's not been given to you as wisdom and revelation by the Spirit of God, then you shut your mouth. Because the younger generation has enough problems without you having to convolute their problems. I know you're thinking, man, you're talking harder to us than you talked to younger people last week. Well, it's because the younger people a lot of times are the way the younger people are because the older people ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And some of us are getting it right. 
but all of us can get it more right. When we do this, when we act like true older men, according to Scripture, and older women, according to Scripture, then we can say, because I'm not an example of godliness or a God of worldliness, but an example of godliness, then I can say, then you can say, which is my hope. Man, it's my hope. Is that you could say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Because he said that because he was walking in a godly fashion worth imitating. Are you living a life older men, older women, worth imitating? I know it sounds like a rhetorical question, and it is in that I don't need an answer right now, but it's something you should take home and chew on and meditate on. It's something you should do some self-introspection and evaluation on. Maybe, maybe even write down a list of where you're getting it right and getting it wrong and ask the Holy Spirit to cut those things out of you where you're getting it wrong so that you can get it right. Did you know discipleship, growing in the Lord, is an intentional process that very rarely, no, never happens by accident? So... There you go. I know that was harsh, but I'm not done yet. In order to be everything God calls you to be, to mimic Christ, to pursue godliness, there are two things campfire sitters need to be and do. Here's the first one. If you're going to be a good campfire sitter, somebody worthy of listening to, you must have submitted to Christ first. Let me tell you, if you, if you don't belong to Jesus, you got no business speaking to me about how I ought to live my life because you have no basis of knowledge for how to live your own life. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 15, it says this, I do not write these things to shame you, don't you know 1 Corinthians was written as a, as a, I mean, it was a pretty harsh letter to the Corinthian church by Paul because they were jacking up a bunch of stuff. It says, I don't write you these things to shame you, but to admonish you. That means to caution you. As my beloved children, I'm considering you my children. And like any good parent, I want to caution you from making the mistakes that I made and the mistakes I see other people make. And so the first thing we have to do because we belong to Christ is understand that we aren't here to shame the younger crowd. If your job, if you think your job is to make them feel bad about yourself, you've got the wrong perception of your job. Your job is to caution them so that they desire what you have. And then he goes on and continues. He says, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. Do you know what that means? A tutor is a taskmaster. He said, in Christ, you don't have taskmasters. Those of us in Christ should be true fathers. A taskmaster says, you better do this. You better do this. You better do this. Whereas a loving father encourages, admonishes, 
disciplines, all for the betterment of another person. The motives are completely different. The taskmaster wants to feel empowered himself, where the father wants the child to be empowered. Do you know where that come from? That came from your relationship with Jesus. Being able to move from one to the other. And I can prove that to you in scripture because it says at the end of verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. You can't be who you're called to be if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. The only thing you're going to be is a guy that espouses a bunch of information that's going to be hurtful, condemning, and ultimately unfruitful. For it is the Spirit of God in you that makes what you have to say valuable. That's it. Here's the second thing. The second thing you're called to be as a campfire sitter is a letter worth reading. Second Corinthians says this. Three verse two. You are a letter. You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, listen, don't you understand that you're my letter? The proof of my life is, is seen when people read who you are. Just like you are, older people, someone else's letter. DW, I hear you talking about your dad all the time. You are a letter written by your father, for other people to read. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I a person of character because I belong to Christ that's capable of writing a letter in the heart of the next generation so that the generation after them may be able to read them and see the legacy of Christ built in them? Amen? You have to know Christ and you have to be writing the right letter. There's a couple other things that you should be doing, but I've not pretended, nor do I have I ever pretended, to be the one that knows all of them. And so what I've done is I've asked four campfire sitters from our congregation to come up here and for five minutes apiece give you one piece of scriptural advice that they've learned in their lifetime and want you to have so that your letter should be all that it should be. Amen? Miss Jean? Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. Come to tell you that Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Amen. I thought I knew many names before that one. That was going to take me places, help me along the way, give me all the things that my heart desired. But you know what? There's not another name that has even touched that name. I come this morning with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Not your path, but your paths. I've had many paths. Some I cried in. Some I laughed in. Some I wallowed in shame. Some I was just flat angry. I bet we all can relate to that. Because, you know, until you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have surrendered all there is of you to Him, there's many things in this world to deceive you, to lead you, to guide you, and place you in struggle. But I promise you, when you're in that struggle, if you'll call on that name, that name will lead you by the Holy Spirit to exactly where He wants you to be for that given opportunity, not only to testify of the name, but to bear witness that the name brought into your life what you needed at that given time. You know, I didn't get that by happenstance. Our pastor preaches that with a heart of passion. I had to be committed to study God's Word. I had to fix my eyes upon Jesus, not only as a older woman who is at the campfire, but as a teenager. I sat around many campfires of godly pastors that led and showed Jesus to me. We have to receive God's word as truth. You know, you can come into this building and you can hear the word, but whether or not you receive it as your truth, that's something else also. Apply God's word to your every action, every day. You know, I heard that many times when I was in the youth group, but I didn't understand it. I thought, what? Apply that word to every action? I would be thinking of him all day long. Yes. Yes. And you know, I wasn't clever or smart enough to understand what that meant to me in the future. Please hear me. Your future, you are chosen. If you've given your heart and your life to the Lord, you have something invaluable that He needs from you to walk out in the pathway. No one else can measure from the outside what takes place on the inside. Only you can. Are you being honest and transparent before God? You know, I found myself on my knees at the age of 33. Not being transparent before Him, but thank Him so much that He didn't give up on me. He was waiting for me to call out and to surrender. And when I did, it's been the sweetest days that I could have ever shared. 1 John 2, 4, and 6 says, If someone says, I belong to God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and does not live in truth. But those who obey God's word really do love Him. That is the way to know whether or not we live in Him. Those who say they live in God 
should live their lives as Christ did. Let's do that. Let's be the body of Christ that lives our lives like Christ did. You know, the word faith, I've, I've thought about it for years and years and years and years. And finally, the Lord gave me some acronyms for that word. Faith for me is forever, always, I'm trusting Him. Jesus, the sweetest name I know. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Thank you. You know what she whispered to me when she gave me the mic? I love you. Thank you, sis. I love you too. As I think about young people, I'm looking in the room and I only see a few. To give you a little bit of background why it's so important for young people, I was raised a Catholic and I don't mean this in a negative way. But I was never taught the word. I was 45 years old before I had a reading Bible. And I only had a reading Bible because I felt like that I needed to make a life change and I didn't know what to do. And so as I began to read the word of God, I knew that all of these years I hadn't been taught the truth. So if I were to say, young person... This is what I would encourage you to do. If you don't have a Bible, you come see Leonard and I'll get you one. And you read that Bible. I've, had, I've been asked, Leonard, what is your biggest regret in life in raising your family? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It almost makes me weep to think that I didn't sit my children on my lap and read them the word of God and explain to them how important it is. You want heaven as your home? You're not going to get heaven as your home unless you follow the word of the living God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you don't get there except through him. And we don't know that unless we know what the word is. How do we get faith? My sister talked about. You get faith. Listen to what Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my what? In my word, then are you my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. A freedom the world cannot give. A freedom that only comes from the word of the living God. And if we want to know how important the word is, all you have to do is turn to 2 Timothy. Chapter number three, beginning in verse number 16. All scripture. What scripture? Thank you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine or teaching. Reproof. Correction. For instruction in righteousness. 
that the man, that's a non-generous word, ladies, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Do you really want to know how to live? Young people, you want to know how to treat your mom and dad? Read the word. Mom and dad, you want to know how to treat your children? Read the word. You want to have peace in your life? Read the word. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. You can go on and on. My instruction is a simple one. And you see us older, see this is my regret. I can't take my 62, 63-year-old son and sit him on my lap now because he don't want to sit there anymore. But when he was 7, 8, 10 years old, why did I not teach him the Word of God that he would have instruction in how to live and the things to do? I can't overemphasize the importance of the Word. How do we know how to love? Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. When we get a hold of how good it is and how wonderful it is, it melts our hearts. And God would be so gracious as to do what? Give us this. We have it. Use it. Let it be something in your life that will change it because it will. That no one, no one drew me out of the Catholic. I'm not, I'm not putting down Catholics. No one drew me out of the Catholic Church. I learned from here that I could eat meat on Friday and not commit a sin. I learned here that I could attend church in somebody else's church and not commit a sin. I was told that if I was a, a real quick story, I was dating this cute little girl. She was cute as a button. Wednesday night. I didn't get the car often. I got the car. I called her. Well, yeah, us young people are going to get together. I want you to listen to this. And if you'd like to go, I, I was all excited because, golly, I'm going to take this little cute girl with, we're going to go, okay. So we go, and where do we go? Baptist church and a youth group. And we're all standing around in a circle. And the, the, the youth uh, pastor said, we're going to read today. From, I remember it from the Gospel of John. I can't tell you the chapter or verse, but I remember the book. And so they began reading. Did you know that when it came to me that if I picked up that the Holy Word of God and that I read from that book that I was committing a mortal sin according to the Catholic Church? Did you know that? And what am I going to do? Am I going to embarrass my sweetie? Are you getting this? Truth. We need to know what truth is. This is truth. Treasure it. Grow in it. Let Jesus speak to you. Let your hearts be drawn ever closer by the word of the living God. Following behind Miss Jean and Pastor Leonard, I'd Trent, I don't know if we're camp sitters yet or if we're still just gathering wood for the fire. <laughs> I, um, as Pastor Jim preached last Sunday and, and I, I talked with him this week, the illustration that he gave us was was so good. And, I, and I've, I've thought about that and I've, I've thought about the times that I've watched TV shows and movies and I you know, the cowboy and Indian movies and, and all those type of movies, you watch those guys on the horses and they fall out of the saddle a lot. And during my days of, of being a rider, I fell out of my saddle a lot. 
And most of the time I wasn't sure in the saddle because I stopped remembering why I was a rider, who I was a rider for, or I focused on how good of a rider I was becoming. And unfortunately, sometimes how bad the other riders around me were doing. And I've learned through that, that this, as Pastor Leonard Emmis Jean said, that this, this world, this, this, there's so many things that you'll be told that aren't true about you. There's so many things that this world will try to tell you you should be that stands in direct opposition to what the Word of God tells you you should be. But most importantly, I, I stand here today having learned the lesson that as much as you can't trust the world around you to tell you who you are, don't trust yourself either. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. You see, when we try to fix ourselves based on what those around us tell us to do because they prefer to be a little more comfortable around us, we, we start to find that we seek and we, we develop a self-righteousness. And God says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Be holy as I am holy. God is our plumb line for, for our righteousness. God is who leads us into Christ-likeness. So that scripture screams at me daily. I end and I start every day with moving myself out of the way and giving God his rightful place and permission to know me, try me, search me, and lead me. He's the reason that we ride when we're riders. Jesus won the battle for us. The, the victory has been won. But we have a purpose to ride. And we learn how to ride by searching his word, as Miss Jean and, and Pastor Leonard have both so eloquently said. But when you allow God to seek you, to, to, to search you, then true repentance comes through conviction. You see, when we judge ourselves or we allow others to judge us, so many times that's when condemnation sets in. But when we allow God to search us and know us and try us and lead us in the everlasting way, conviction comes and true repentance comes. And as true repentance comes and we ask God to forgive us and we allow God to lead us and change us, then we get a little more sure in that saddle that we're sitting in. And the hardest lesson for me to learn, and the one, especially young ladies, if you are allowing God to make the necessary changes in you, they're not superficial, they're not fake, and He will keep you busy enough that you won't focus on what the other riders around you are doing or not doing. And that root of bitterness that entangles us all doesn't have a place in our heart. Amen. 
you can always tell the ones that are always uh, submissive to the Spirit of God the most. And that woman told me this morning when we got here, I don't have nothing. I don't have anything. I don't know what I'm going to say. And <laughs> look at her, killing it up here. Uh, but yeah, it's been a minute since I've been up here, so pardon me. It, for me, maybe for others, it's it like it's like riding a bicycle, but not for me. <laughs> I feel like it's, I went right back to the first time. But uh, but you know what they say, you know, they uh, save the best for last. Uh, that does not apply to today. <laughs> that does not apply today. Okay. So as a part of the uh, First Impressions team, I thought it would be best to, start to uh, share something with you guys that I've learned uh, over the years of, as serving. And, uh, you know, serving is, is what, as Christians, we're all called to do. Uh, we, we already know that. And it's not that we, we serve to be saved, but it's because we, we are saved that we serve. And so, and we serve God and when we serve others because we are grateful for the forgiveness that, that he has shown us, he has given us. And uh, Peter speaks to this uh, in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11. He talks about how uh, we are to serve out of love for others and so that God will be glorified. And he says this, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there's just a few things in this passage that uh, I want to talk about that Peter that Peter uh, says when it comes to serving. And so one of those things is that we should always remember that we have been given a gift. We have been given the opportunity to serve by his grace. We don't serve out of obligation. We don't serve because we have to or because we should. We serve because we get to. And we should always keep that in mind. Uh, secondly, it says uh, it's only by his strength. We can't do anything apart from him. We aren't even able to do anything apart from him. Uh, and when we, when we truly recognize that, then we do not want to serve for our own attention, for our own glory. We serve so that others will see the transformative work and power of Christ in us, therefore leading others to him so that he gets the glory. So, with that being said, I just want you guys, as you go out and serve, I want you to, to ask yourselves, what is my motive for serving? If you don't serve from a heart of gratitude for the gift of God's grace, there's just a few things that's going to end up happening. I know this from experience. You're going to, you're going to end up getting burnt out. Well, firstly, and then secondly, you're just going to, you're going to walk around with bitterness. And so I just want to encourage you guys. I know it's easy for us with our, our sin nature. We, it's easy for us to do things selfishly. It is. It is for me. 
uh, from time to time, but just always keep in mind, keep that in question in your mind as you get ready to serve. What am I doing this for? And always remember to serve with selflessness and not selfishness, the way Christ did. Amen. All right, I'm not going to keep you just one more minute longer, maybe two. So, man, it's great to have this information, but if it's not, if you take revelation with no implementation, you've got apathy. You just accumulated more more information with nothing to do with it. And so this is, I felt compelled to teach these two lessons and ask for the assistance of these others to do so um, for a purpose. The church exists for a singular reason. It doesn't matter how you word it. It doesn't matter how long or short or fancy you make it. It, it exists to make, mark, mature, and multiply disciples for Christ Jesus. That's it. We are in the disciple-making business. Now, we've called it mentoring, but the fact of the matter is it's discipleship. And... I want this church to become a discipleship church more so than it is right now.